Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Catholic Education Show. My name is Kimberly Begg. I am the editor of Catholic School Playbook, which is a project of the Ortner Family Foundation, and I am joined by my co-host, Sean Peterson. Sean is the president of Catholic Education Partners, which is the Catholic choice for education choice. Today, we have a real treat for you. We have on Corey DeAngelis, who is the senior fellow at the American Federation for Children, and he is here to talk about all things education choice and also his new book, which is due out in May. The title of the book is The Parent Revolution, Rescuing Your Kids from the Radicals Ruining Our Schools. Corey, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, you guys. Welcome, Corey. Good to see you, my friend. Uh, Corey, we always start with, uh, we do open with a little prayer, so I'm going to do that do that quickly, and then we're going to jump right in and because there's a lot to talk about. So we'll start with that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Corey, good to see you. I don't. I think it's been a little while. I think last time we might have seen each other was at SPN or something or, you know, all these conferences. One of these conferences. One yeah. of these conferences that we pay to go to to talk to each other and have dinner with each other. Um, but great to see you, my friend. It's an exciting time right now. Lots going on. Lots has happened the last couple of years in, you know, parental choice. Uh, now we say parental or education choice. And so we want to jump right in. Uh Set the table for us. Why have the last couple of years, you know, what's been going on from COVID to wokeness, everything you want to talk about, what's been going on? Why is this, you know, such a firestorm right now? And why are we having such great success in all these states, um, giving parents the opportunity to choose their child's education? Yeah, look, Sean, we're winning so much. I'm almost getting tired of winning. Uh, just kidding. We're not all the way there yet. We've had 10 states go universal on school choice in the past two, three years alone. And what I mean by universal is every single family is eligible, regardless of income, zip code, background, every single family can take their children's state-funded education dollars to the public or private uh, education provider of their choosing. And the reason for this is because the teachers unions overplayed their hand and awakened a sleeping giant, which happens to be parents who want more of a say in their kids' education. You had the NEA, the AFT, uh, the unions, lobbying the CDC to make it more difficult to reopen schools in person. You had them threatening safety strikes. They, you had them holding children's education hostage to secure multiple multi-billion dollar ransom payments from taxpayers. All the while, the private schools were open. The Catholic schools were open. They were able to provide in-person services to children. But the teachers unions, being part of the public sector, they knew they could fan financially benefit from holding kids' education hostage, just like they always have for decades, where they've said, we're failing, we have low test scores because we need more money. If we throw more money at the problem, it'll fix it this time, we promise. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. They just applied this to the uh, school reopening debate, just like they do with everything else. But the intended benefit, the unintended benefit of those school closures was that families got to see a little bit of what was happening in the classroom because of the Zoom school, the remote learning, which we really should have just called remotely learning because not a lot mm -hmm. of learning was going on. But look, Vody Bauckham said it best. We cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. Well, families got to see that the schools weren't focusing on education. They were focusing on indoctrination. They weren't focusing on the basics. And families 
who thought their kids were in good public schools because of the test score ratings started to see another dimension of school quality that I would argue is more important than anything that could be captured by a standardized test, which is whether the school's curriculum aligns with families' values. And when parents started to protest and they show up at the school board meetings and they were unhappy with these things, they started to get their mics cut off. They started to uh, get labeled as domestic terrorists at one point for protesting at school board meetings. You actually had the school board association sending a letter to the Biden administration's DOJ to investigate parents for domestic terrorism. Those words Mm -hmm. were actually Mm -hmm. in the letter. And parents started to say, well, you know what? If you're not going to listen to me, if you're going to cut my mic off, if you're you're going to try to uh, slander me and my reputation when I try to participate in this uh, idea of democratic accountability, which doesn't work when there isn't any bottom-up accountability called voting with your feet and having real choices, well, we're going to go to the legislature and, and ask for school choice. And so families saw the better solution being able to vote with your feet to schools that actually align with their values, schools that are actually open in person. And so now, fast forward to today, you have a, a fifth of all states granting school choice to every single family, uh, regardless of, of any background characteristics. So that's that's just a huge amount of momentum it's hard to overstate how far we've come uh, bringing Milton Friedman's uh, ideas to fruition of universal school choice. And and we're just getting started. That's yeah, fantastic. Well, Go ahead, Kimberly. Fantastic. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that you think that a school refre- reflecting the values of a family and reinfor- reinforcing a family's values are more important than maybe standardized test results. Um, Do you think part of what is going on here, uh, why we're seeing so much hostility um, among some teachers unions and among some on the left, and then just a real real hunger uh, for education choice um, among some um, uh, families um, who were upset about what they were seeing over their kids' Zoom screen. Do you think there's a, a bit of a disconnect of what the purpose of education is? Um, and how do you think that that might have evolved over the last few years? Yeah, I mean, most people, most parents want to send their kids to schools that are just focusing on the basics, math, reading, and writing. Others, you know, they want their kids to be, I see kind of education as an extension of parenting myself, that you're either going to send your kids to the government to, to co-parent your children, uh, even though it's a, it's a horrid idea for me to think about, or you choose a provider that's aligned with your values that's going to reinforce what you're saying at home and not going to battle with you. You don't want to send your kid to an institution where they feel like they're being indoctrinated to, to hate you and your way of life. You want them to uh, to, to move in the same direction as, as, as how you're raising your child at home and, and to not uh, uh, conflict with those values. And so um, I think this has been happening for a long time, even before the school closures. We just got to see, uh, shine the light on all the problems that, that were happening. So um, I don't know how long it's been going on, though. I think it's just, it's been in, in, ingrained in the institution. You've had the radical left take over uh, the government school system for a long time, for decades. And um I don't think this should be a partisan issue myself. I mean, some red state legislatures has, have taken a different approach where they haven't passed universal school choice yet, but they've passed bans on certain concepts or they've tried to promote curriculum uh, from the right in the public school system. But that doesn't solve the root of the problem, which is that we trap kids in a one size fits all government run 
school system that by definition isn't going to meet the needs that are that are diverse and varied among a population of, of diverse families that disagree about how they want to raise their kids, you're always going to get a situation where you have one group controlling the minds of other people's children. And it's usually not even the majority inflicting their will on a minority. It's typically a special interest minority inflicting their will on the majority of parents uh, and their children. So the other approach has been to ban these concepts. I don't, I don't think the the bans actually work. They're unenforceable. We have videos um, undercover in a lot of red states where the administrators in the public schools are saying, even if we ban CRT, for example, we're still going to teach it. We'll just call it something else. Uh, we'll, we'll move the goalposts. We'll call it social emotional learning or, or, or whatever it is. Um, but at the same time, if you want your kid in an institution that has more left-leaning uh, curriculum, then you should be able to choose that too. Uh, but the only way to fix that problem of the one-size-fits-all system is to, to fund the student directly and empower parents to choose. I think the other thing that I didn't mention in the first response as to why things are changing is it's become more of a political winner for politicians who thought before that if I vote for school choice, I'm going to lose my seat. And politicians, look, um, we hope they listen to logic, but all too often they listen to power more so than what the right thing to do is. And now we've seen that uh, school choice has become a political winner in the, in the midterms in 2022. A lot of people on the, in the media were talking about a red wave. That didn't really happen. There wasn't a blue wave, obviously, but there was a school choice wave. 76% of the candidates supported by my organization, the American Federation for Children and our state affiliates won their races in 2022. And we targeted 69 incumbents in state legislatures and took out 40 of them. And that's the hardest thing to do in politics. I mean, you look at uh, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, a Republican won on the issue of education with education voters by mm -hmm. six points. Uh, and that was the number two issue in that election. Basically never happens. And this was in a blue state that went to Biden 10 points the year before, uh, all because his opponent, Terry McAuliffe, who was basically an incumbent, he was the governor before in Virginia running again. And he said at the final debate stage, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. That, that, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it works out for him. It didn't work out for him. He lost. He even had Randy Weingarten stumping for him the night before the election. And the, a mom uh, from Virginia the next day on CNN said that that was the nail in the coffin moment for her because she saw that the school closer, Randy Weingarten, was also Terry McAuliffe's campaign closer. Um, so I, I think Randy and the teachers unions have inadvertently done more to advance the concept of school choice than anyone could have ever imagined. But it's also become a GOP litmus test issue to support school choice because of the fact that the public schools are more likely, if there is indoctrination, it's more likely to be left-leaning indoctrination. Uh, that's just the way it is. It, it can be the case that there's it's too far right in some schools. I haven't really seen much evidence of that. But most parents on the right are more upset with what they saw in the classroom. So they've been clamoring for school choice even more. It was already on the Republican Party platform, but this really supercharged the effort. In Texas, where I live, for example, 88% of Texas Republican primary voters supported school choice on the ballot in 2022, which was up nine points since it was last on the ballot in 2020, in 2018. Yeah. And huge congratulation, Corey, for your part in yeah. the school <clears throat> choice wave. 
Uh, you've been working in this area for a number of years. Could you just tell us the story of how you first got involved uh, working in school choice? Um, and I really want to hear the fund students, not systems story. Mm -hmm. So how did that become a thing? Um, mm -hmm. I know that this is something I, I, I saw you tweeting out um, quite a bit, uh, probably in 2020. Um, and it was a day in, day out, constant messaging by Corey DeAngelis on the strategy um, and what we should be doing to really do right by our American families. So if you could just tell us that story, um, I've never heard it. Yeah, it's actually pretty funny. At one point, uh, I actually started all of this as an academic at the University of Arkansas doing my PhD in education policy. I've done about 40 peer-reviewed journal articles on school choice and other education policy areas. And some of my colleagues were telling me, get off Twitter, you're wasting your time. You could be doing more important stuff like writing these 50-page papers that nobody ever reads. I'm glad I didn't listen to them. Uh, one of those colleagues actually went to Twitter um, a little more recently, and I never went to them him about this and said, Oh, I'm glad I didn't listen to you. But he said that he had given me this advice a long time ago because um, he thought I was trying to be well liked in academic circles. And that, but he uh, went to Twitter to say that he's, uh, it, it looks like Corey wanted to be influential. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it actually worked out for him. So uh, maybe my advice wasn't all that great a long time ago to, to begin with. But Anyway, my school choice journey started at the K through 12 level. I actually went to government run schools uh, all through K through 12. And by the way, if you want to check out some of the problems in the government school system, you can look at my recent books with Connor Boyack. It's called Mediocrity, 40 Ways Government Schools Are Failing Today's Students. Um, but I talk about my story in, in one of my new books as well, that I went to my assigned government school uh, until high school. I went to something called a, a magnet school. And this is a form of school choice. I'd say one of the weakest forms of school choice. Uh, maybe you can call it government school choice where you can choose your school. You're not assigned to it. They can have their admissions processes that they want, but it has to be a school that's run by the district or the government. And even then it was a night and day difference for me. It was a huge benefit. I thought it was a, a great opportunity um, uh, academically, obviously, and it was on the campus of my assigned government school where there were fights every day. There was drug and gang activity, and there wasn't a lot of those problems in the magnet school. And so seeing that right before my eyes for four years straight had a profound impact on me and, and my ideas about the school system, uh, but it also set me up for success later on in life as well. So I think other families should have opportunities in education, but it shouldn't be limited to schools that are run by the government. The money should follow the student to wherever best meets their needs, their needs. If that's another magnet school, fine. If it's a charter school, fine. But if it's a private or Catholic school or other religious school, you should be able to choose that too, and the money should follow the student. Uh, and then I went to off to do my PhD in education policy after I did a couple degrees in, in economics. Uh, and it, at Arkansas, I really got into school choice research. My first study linking the Milwaukee voucher program to crime reduction later on in life. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and this was one of the first studies on the topic. I've done two of them linking school choice to crime reduction. So far, there are six total on the topic. It's a very niche area of research, mostly because it's hard to get criminal record um, information. It's, 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 and, and it's really hard to get long-term data on students um, associated with, uh, you know, using this program in, in, in high school. 
And we found huge reductions in crime. All six of the studies on the topic now are peer reviewed and they all find large reductions in crime associated with using school choice. And that could be for a variety of reasons. It could be peer effects. You're around another group of students that's less likely to be involved in gang activity. So then you'll be less likely to be involved in gang activity. Could be because the private schools are operate in a competitive market where they have a stronger incentive to compete on a lot of different things, including test scores, but also things like character development of the student. And then the other obvious explanation is, well, the private sector can have religious schools and religion can have a a profound impact on the moral compass of a student growing up, making them less likely to be involved. There's a whole bunch of reasons why that could happen, but that really got me interested even more in the topic. And I've done tons of studies on the topic, mostly focusing on outcomes that are not standardized tests, which really ties into what's been happening over the past couple of years parents seeing these other dimensions of school quality beyond test scores. Most researchers like to just look at what's what's available and test scores are the easiest things to find. So they don't go digging much uh, or they don't have as much success looking at things like crime or mental health. It's a lot harder to do those uh, studies that I've uh, partaken in. And then the second part of your question about fund students, not systems. I've repeated those four words uh, more than I can count. It would be fun to go look at how many times I've tweeted that out. But the reason I thought it was so important to reframe the debate, which a lot of this is about controlling language. And if you can control the language in a policy debate and you can do something in sound bites, well, the politicians are going to like it and the people are going to like it. And if you can put the other side on defense, which has been really hard in the school choice movement for a long time, Defenders, supporters of school choice were on defense, explain, trying to explain to people why uh, we should have the right to choose the, own, our own, the school for our own kids just because they weren't the status quo. So it makes it a lot harder for the school choice proponents. But the very nature of saying fund students, not systems, as opposed to school choice is beneficial in two ways. One, at least two ways. One, well, you, it's more transparent. It makes the idea a lot clear. It's the funding following the student. You're funding the student, not the building. They can choose wherever they want to go. So you don't have to explain it as much. And then it also puts the other side on defense. If I say fund students, not systems, and you want to argue with me, you have to, the burden of proof on you is now on you to explain why we should fund the system and not the student. And it really goes to show that you're not really concerned about the student as much as you are maintaining the monopolistic institution. Uh, So that's really changed the game, those four simple words. And then it also allows you to bring up analogies that point out the hypocrisy of school choice opponents in that uh, a lot of people who vote against school choice, Democrats in particular in elected office, they support funding students for higher education when it comes to Pell Grants and the GI Bill. You can take the money to Catholic universities if you want, or you can take it to the public university. The funding follows the student. With In Texas, we had the Texas Equalization Grant. That's so-called public dollars. I call them taxpayer dollars, but that could mm-hmm. be used at private religious institutions. You can think about pre-K programs that the Democrats often support in office, and that's public money, taxpayer dollars that can follow the, the decision of the family to any provider uh, of their choosing, even religious providers for pre-K. For food stamps, the funding follows the individual. You can take it to private institutions as well. With, with Medicaid vouchers, you can take that money to Catholic uh, religious hospitals if you want, and, and so on and so forth, all these programs. And so if you ask, well, if you're, and their main talking point for a long time from the teachers unions was public money, public schools. That, those, that was their four words. 
And the quick response to that is, well, you support public money for private everything else. What's the difference here? And then they'll just, they'll, they'll stop in their tracks like a deer in the headlights because they really hadn't considered it before that. Well, yeah, actually I'm a hypocrite because I support public funds going to private everything else, just not for K through 12. And the reason there is that it's one of power dynamics. Uh, choice is the norm for higher ed and pre-K and everything else, but choice threatens and entrenched special interest, the unions, only when it comes to K through 12 education. Corey, I want to un, uh, unpack something else that goes back to an earlier answer that you gave, and then I think fits in really well with what you just said. You know, as I've studied <clears throat> the history of education in the United States more and more, I'm I'm coming to believe more like actually this system that we have, this public education system. And I've always believed like public education is education of the public. It's not a system. Yeah. It doesn't it's, have to have, happen in a government school. No, it's it's we educate the public because we want we want the common good. We want all of our citizens to have an education so that they can have a good life and they can contribute. Right. But it, but it, more and more, I think like, actually, I think the system we have now, which is based on the Prussian model, uh, which was actually originally designed to create a docile public so that, you know, they would go to war, they would do whatever the state wanted them to. It seems fundamentally un-American now to me that we've actually adopted that system. Like that is what our education system is based on. It's it's actually based on state control of the individual, which seems so fundamentally un-American to me. But yet we've got groups out there and you know who they, you know, we've got got this group of pastors that pops up all over the state. <laughs> false prophets. Yeah, false prophets, you know, wolves, wolves and sheep. Yep. Yes, exactly. And they're all, they're all, uh, you know, they're popping up. And their their main thing now is like, you know, pretty much that God basically handed down the public education system. And you're not American if you don't believe this. But yet, you know, I've pointed out to them and you have, and we, you know, actually for about the first hundred years in this country, actually it was private religious schools uh, that, well, not really private, religious schools that educated the public and they educated everyone that wanted to try to get an education and uh, and private schools, Catholic schools weren't forced by the Supreme court to desegregate either. So can you talk about the little, I, I think we just, that is something I think we in the school choice movement have not done a good job of, of actually telling Americans what the history of their education system mm-hmm. is. Yeah, I think E.G. West talks about that in his book right here, uh, Education in the State, if you guys want to check that out. But um, yeah, look, we, we adopted the model from the Prussian system. Horace Mann, the father of public education, went over there in, the, I believe, the 1930s, came back with those ideas. He was the secretary of education in Massachusetts, which became had the first state with a compulsory education law. It was also the first colony with a compulsory education law as mm-hmm. well, the old Deluder Staten Act. But I believe in the 1640s. But um, we talk a lot about school choice hypocrisy. I mean, the whole idea uh, behind the compulsory public school system to begin with was to educate the masses to become more Americanized citizens. But I believe Horace Mann um, also homeschooled his own kids. So he he knew what it meant to be an American citizen, but all those other families, the Catholic immigrants, we had to Americanize them in the ways that that were aligned with Horace Mann's worldview at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at what we fast forward to today, you see some remnants of this these ideas of obedience in, in the public school system. Um, and uh, to begin with, the ideas weren't about just basic education, right? It wasn't about math, reading, and writing. And today, so we shouldn't be all that surprised when you have 
the radicals who currently control the school system trying to indoctrinate kids with their worldviews mm-hmm. and they aren't really concerned about math, reading, and writing. You've seen the spending graphs where the funding has gone up by 160% in real terms since 1970. Test scores are flat. Maybe we're looking at the wrong outcomes. Maybe we've poured more money into that system and kids have begun, become more woke. Maybe they've uh, gone gone left uh, further. I, I don't know what, what outcomes are the, are the right outcomes to look at, but it could be that that money is not being used on test scores because it's being used on uh, radical indoctrination from, from one political party and not the other. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, it's been a huge problem that uh, we, we haven't really focused on as much, but I think that people have really woken up over the past couple of years mm-hmm. because of the remote learning they've seen um, a lot of the values misalignment in, in the public school system. Well, and Corey, you, you just, you know, you mentioned Horace. So Horace Mann is actually the first school choice hypocrite. Uh, yeah. But you do, you do, and I appreciate it. You do a great job on Twitter in in states. You do a great job of pointing out a lot of hypocrites, uh, a lot of school choice mm-hmm. opponents, a lot of legislators that vote against these things. They all, you know, a lot of them send their kids to private schools. A lot of them <clears> send <throat> the Catholic schools, to be honest. Um, and I, yeah, it's, so it's sort of like, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, so, you know, I comment on that, but I, I appreciate that you do that because we have to call it the hypocrisy, right? Right. And most recently you've had, uh, the, the, the teacher union boss out in mm-hmm. Chicago, Stacey mm-hmm. Davis Gates, she called school choice racist a, a year ago. She said private schools were segregation academies. And then lo and behold, we find out this year that she pulled her kid out of the public school and sent them to a private Catholic school. School choice for me, not for thee. It's okay when she does it, but uh, I mean, her position of power being the union mob boss depends on her being a hypocrite on school Mm -hmm. choice. I mean, she wants the best education for her kids. She makes a ton of money, I believe, you know, at least like $300,000 a year uh, to trap other people's kids in her own failure factories, the, uh, uh, the dumpster fire that is the Chicago public school system. And she knows that's not a good option. So she pulls her set kids out of the unionized school that's staffed by her members and she sends them to a, a private Catholic school that's that's doing a better job at a fraction of the cost. I think the Chicago public schools spend about $30,000 per student per year. Mm-hmm. And the Chicago uh, Catholic school that she chose to send her kid to spends about half of that, or it's about half that amount for tuition. Um, mm-hmm. So her defense of herself was, you know, oh, we've, we haven't funded the public schools enough. Well, the your own choice shows that that's not a legitimate argument because they they're funded twice as much as the tuition of your uh, private school that you're sending your kid to. So it's not about money. It's about incentives. And it's about um, having a school that, that has a mission that's, mm-hmm. that's aligned with, with education and, and raising a kid and, and, and in ways that their parents are happy with. If, if you have to, you're, you're subject to market forces, you're going to do, be, do a better job. I mean, I think this explains why the Catholic schools were open during the pandemic and didn't see any learning loss, according to the nation's report card, whereas the government schools saw decade of, decades of learning loss, and they were closed as well uh, for basically the for, for several years um, and didn't provide an education for kids, whereas the Catholic schools were open basically from the get-go in most places, and uh, families were happy with it. And actually, there's been a study by Michael Hartney and Leslie Finger 
finding, and it was peer-reviewed and published, I believe, in 2021, pretty early on, they found that in places that had more Catholic schools, the, the public schools were more likely to open too because of competitive pressures. <clears throat> if families could vote with their feet to these lower-cost options, even without school choice programs, the public schools had to scratch their head a little bit and say, well, maybe we don't want to lose all that money in, uh, in Chicago, for example, that you know they don't want to lose $30,000 for a parent going somewhere else. Other states took different approaches where they actually uh, uh, were making it illegal to open the private schools too, which mm-hmm. the private schools responded to that by by launching uh, lawsuits against the government for the right to open their doors for their for their customers and their families. The public schools cheered those decisions and, and knew that they were still going to get paid the same amount anyway and could actually get more money and leverage those closures for uh, – uh, for more more federal grants, um, and so uh, one of my first people I called out though was uh, was uh, in 2019 the Democratic primaries. You had Elizabeth Warren uh, sent her kid to private school. Nobody knew about this. Alex Warren at the time was 43 years of age, and uh, Education Week, I think it's more of a left leaning uh, journalist education journalism website. They had sent all the candidates a questionnaire saying. Hey, where did you go to school? Where did you send your kid to school, public or private? And basically everybody responded and they, it was those two questions. And, and the, the odd response was from Elizabeth Warren, though. She responded to one and not the other. She said, I went to public schools in, in Oklahoma. No response, no comment to where I sent my kids to school. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because of privacy reasons. Her kids <clears throat> were very, you know, very old and uh, not very old, but, you know, uh, beyond K through 12 education age. And that kind of tipped me off. And I figured if she, if she sent them to public schools, she would have bragged about it like she did herself. She didn't send them to public schools. Mm-hmm. So I, I dug into it, went to ancestry.com and found mm-hmm. the yearbook for Alex Warren at a private school, Kirby Hall in Austin, Texas, where she was teaching at the time. Uh, she was teaching at UT Austin at the time. And uh, I wrote about it in the New York Post and I first wrote about it on Twitter uh, and did a thread about it and then wrote about it in the New York Post. But then I don't think she knew that this information was out there because shortly afterwards, she did a a campaign event in Atlanta, Georgia, where a a grandmother and mother obviously uh, went up to her afterwards on video saying, you know, I read somewhere you sent your kids to private schools. I just want the same options you have. Uh, And then Elizabeth Warren, very quickly but quietly said, no, I sent my kids to public schools. So it was a false denial. She lied. That blew up. It added to the whole Pocahontas thing. She was lying about a lot of other things. And it added to the list of lies. But the main response you'll hear from these politicians who are hypocrites on school choice, including Joe Biden, and it's a long list. A lot of politicians send their kids to private schools. And the way that they'll try to mask the hypocrisy or deflect is they'll try to say, well, you know, yeah, I did it. And it's, it's fine that I did it because, um, I paid for it myself pocket mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> and school choice. However, that defunds the public schools, but I have a couple of responses to that one, whether you pay out of pocket or whether you get a voucher to go to a private school that defunds the public school in the same way, because public schools are funded based on enrollment counts, mm-hmm. a thousand kids, and then you pull your kid out, whether you're paying with a voucher or out of pocket, that school now has 999 kids. So it gets less money 
because it has fewer students in the school. So you're defunding the public schools too. That's not a legitimate defense. And then it's just funny to me how the same people who vote to have taxpayers pay for everybody else's choices, whether it comes to student loan forgiveness, they're calling for free college, calling to pay for vouchers when it comes to pre-K that weren't funded before. They now all of a sudden take this pull your pull yourself up by your bootstraps approach only when it comes to K to 12 education, which again, it's another piece of logical inconsistency that shows you this is all about power, nothing to do with logic. Um, Hey, Corey, on the topic of school choice hypocrisy, this is a great topic. We should keep talking about it. Um, What is the role of of money in um, some of the public positions that um, public policymakers um, have. So specifically, I'm curious about the reinvestment of maybe union dues into um, some uh, campaigns of those who are very vocal um, about opposing school choice for others. Yeah, we mentioned Randy Weingarten earlier. She's the head of the American Federation for Teachers. And if you look at her campaign contributions uh, in, in, in 2024, 99.93% 99.93% of the campaign contributions from Randy Weingarten's union, the AFT, have gone to Democrats as opposed to Republicans or independents in 2024. And if you look at Open Secrets and their website, they have data back to 1990. So over several decades, it's that way every single election cycle, about 97% or more, usually over 99% of the campaign contributions from the American Federation of Teachers go to Democrats. So it's a nonstop Uh, money laundering scheme, uh, wash, rinse, repeat. The money goes from the teachers unions to the Democratic Party to to handpick their candidates. And then that money goes to the government school system in the form of more spending, which goes back to the teachers union pockets and then funnels back again, almost all of it, back to uh, the Democratic campaign coffers. So it's, it's a money laundering scheme. It should be illegal. Uh, but it also goes to show you why people like Joe Biden and the rest of the, a lot of the Democrats in elected office say, you know what, uh, even if behind closed doors, they tell you, I support school choice and I think it, it should happen. They want to get reelected. So uh, publicly, they have to take all of these logically inconsistent positions uh, in their personal life. And then also when it comes to just logically arguing for money following the student when it comes to higher and pre-K, but not the in-between years of K to 12 education. So there, uh, this, this money laundering operation, the teachers unions, which are basically an arm of the democratic party at this point, make it really hard for even well-intentioned people, uh, who want to be in office from the democratic party to, um, to come out in favor of school choice. So whenever we see a Democrat vote for school choice or, uh, publicly come out in support of the position, they're doing something truly heroic. Uh, you look at, in Georgia this year, we had a representative, Misha Maynard. Mm-hmm. She actually came out in favor of school choice, but then the Democratic Party ate her alive, basically. You had uh, one of the people in, in office in Georgia, one of the Democrats, posted on social media a picture of a check with a, a certain amount of money written out on it and had a, had no no one's name on it, but basically said, well, if you want to run against Misha Maynard, who, who's for school choice, I'll send you this check. So basically, they were already threatening her, and she ended up changing parties to the Republican Party on the issue of school choice. And I think she said something along the lines that she didn't leave the Democratic Party, the the party left her. Um, And so that just goes to show you how hard it is 
to um, to do the right thing. And so you, you pull voters too, uh, all across the political spectrum. You have supermajority support uh, among Republicans, Democrats, and independents when it comes to the voters across the country. And overall, 71% of Americans support the concept of school choice, according to the latest polling from Real Clear Opinion Research. This also happened in North Carolina with Trisha Cotham. She was a Democrat, and she came out in favor of school choice and actually switched parties to the GOP on the issue. And she was the primary sponsor on their bill to, to go to Universal on school choice this year, becoming the 10th state to enact universal school choice. And because of her switch, the Republicans had just enough votes in each chamber to override an expected veto from their hypocrite governor, Roy Cooper, who sent his own kid to private school. And then even he declared a state of emergency over school choice this year because he was throwing a temper tantrum when he found out that he wasn't going to be able to veto the bill to empower all families with education freedom. Uh, talk about an abuse of emergency powers by Roy Cooper in North Carolina. Uh, it just goes to show you again just how how deep the hypocrisy actually is. Well, you almost feel kind of bad, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> for some policymakers and legislators who feel uh, just captured um, and, and, and don't feel uh, that they have the freedom uh, maybe to, to, to make the right decision, maybe to follow their conscience. Um, Corey, how much money are we talking about? Well, they, they have billions of dollars each each year if you count up all the uh, the teachers union money. And, and what's funny is they try to attack the American Federation for Children by uh, there was an NBC News article um, uh, last year and they were talking about how much success my organization was happening. Uh, and, and they talked about, oh, my goodness, they spent nine million dollars in uh, elections last year. And I said, what's interesting, you had this whole attack piece by NBC News, a very long piece mention all this stuff attacking us and, and but it was it also read like an endorsement of my organization it's like oh maybe if you support school choice you should really donate more money to these guys since they're doing such a great job in winning the majority of the races in state legislatures uh they left out conveniently maybe they forgot to look this up and include it in the piece but they didn't include how much the teachers unions were spending against us they didn't want to include that because it would be a true david versus goliath story where <laughs> You know, we're spending a fraction of what the unions spend against us every single year, and we're winning a majority of the races. Of course, they didn't want to provide that narrative. They wanted to provide it, us being the big bad guys when actually the opposite is true. It just so happens that we're amplifying the voices of parents who already support school choice. And by the way, yes, I feel bad for some of the politicians who have to come out against these uh, teachers unions. But I think that's going to change very soon because now they're also having to worry about the parents, the, the new special interest group in town mm -hmm. who want more of a say in their kid's education and who are paying more attention than ever. They don't just have to listen to the, the teacher unions anymore. That Now they got to worry about the kids union, their parents, and parents have more power in numbers. There's more parents than there are employees in the system. And parents are going to fight harder than the, than the employees because parents care about their kids more than anybody else. And so I have hope that the winds will shift even more so among Republicans and Democrats going forward. Yes, we're seeing a lot of success in red states, but I think in the medium to long term, we'll have more success going uh, towards these laboratories of democracy we call states in the blue areas as well, because I think you're going to have more people looking over at the the race from with Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin, and the Democrats are going to scratch their head a little bit and say, well, maybe I should vote the will of the people 
if I don't want to lose votes to parents who, who, who want more of a say in their kids' education. And we've seen some, some evidence of that. You look at in Pennsylvania in the midterms in 2022, Josh Shapiro, this was an open seat race. He was the attorney general, a Democrat in Pennsylvania. He was up by double digits in the polls already. He changed his education platform right before the election to include mm-hmm. school choice. And I wrote about it at the Wall Street Journal and pointed out something that Milton Friedman said a long time ago. One of his best quotes, in my opinion, was that something along the lines of, you know, if you want to change things, Milton Friedman said, said, the way that you do so is not by putting the right people into office. I mean, that can help, obviously, if they support uh, what you support. But the way that you truly change things is by creating a climate of public opinion where it becomes politically profitable for the wrong people to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happening here. The political winds are shifting towards school choice. Josh Shapiro, even last year in 2023, he called for Lifeline scholarships, a school choice proposal that was uh, uh, run by a Republican actually in the House that year. He called for it on Fox News. And so he he reiterated his support. He ended up caving to the unions in the end, which is besides the point that I'm trying to make, which is, that a high-profile Democrat candidate who was already up in the polls by double digits felt compelled to signal support for school choice to parents is good news in the end, no matter what the reason, whether it was a true change of heart or whether he was just trying to um, uh, signal support to, to and reading the tea leaves and trying to, to get elected. doesn't matter the reason. At the end of the day, it's going to lead towards more Democrat defections on the issue to lead to more bipartisan support for school choice. J.P. Pritzker in Illinois did the same thing. He was up by even more in Illinois. And he answered a candidate survey right before the election, three weeks before, saying he supported the same program he vowed to eliminate back in 2017 and in 2018 when he was running for governor uh, to begin with. He ended up this year, again, just like Josh Shapiro, not doing much of anything to save the program. He did tell the Chicago Tribune he would sign a bill if it got to his desk to save the program. He probably said that knowing there was no chance of a bill actually making it to his desk so he could say that without any risk of of actually having to follow through with the promise. But at the end of the day, if you have politicians from both parties understanding at least that school choice is popular, it's the right thing to do. You have other Democrats, I believe the Biden administration has done this too, where they've They've taken the school choice talking point of a zip code shouldn't determine your school because in America, for whatever reason, the public schools uh, are assigned, you're assigned to them by your address, which makes no sense. We don't do that with anything else. And it leads to tons of inequality in our system. But Mm -hmm. they've changed that talking point and tried to adopt it for themselves. And they've said, yeah, you're right. Your zip code shouldn't determine your education. And they just redefine that. And they try to say, well, the way that we remedy that is not by allowing you to choose to get out of your assigned zip code school, but it is to give every school a billion dollars per student per year and just spend so much money. And then magically, even though it hasn't worked before, that's magically going to solve all of your problems, just throwing more money at it. And then that's why your zip code shouldn't determine your, your education. And so, but at, at least they're understanding that um, school choice is a message, at least that's resonating with voters and at some point, we're going to reach a breaking point where it becomes so politically disastrous to oppose school choice uh, that more politicians are, are going to support it from both parties. 
Corey, in the, we've got uh, about 10 minutes left, maybe a little bit less. I want to give you a chance to talk about the new book, uh, The Parent Revolution. I was thinking your book, uh, Mediocrity, or maybe you do a prequel, maybe called The Parent Trap about public education. But, <laughs> yeah, but that'd be a good one. <laughs> but just want to give you a chance to talk about, you know, what was the impetus for the book? A little bit, you know, it's it's not coming out till May, but um, you can pre-order it. I know that on Amazon and other places, but just tell us a little bit, you know, what was the idea for the book? What a little bit of, just give us a little taste of what it's about and, and some, maybe, I don't know if there was one or two surprising things you found or, or just if it reaffirmed what you already knew. Yeah, it's called the parent revolution, rescuing your kids from the radicals, ruining our schools. And it's, uh, available for pre-order now, uh, at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, every, basically everywhere. If you just search for the parent revolution, you'll find it online. But basically, uh, a little bit of what we've talked about today is that we've had the most momentum for school choice in the history of the movement. In 2021, we had the year of school choice. In 2022, we had the year of school choice. And in 2023, we had the year of school choice again. And the momentum is only continuing. I mean, we have proposals in Tennessee, Louisiana, Alabama, you name it, states that haven't gone school choice universal already. They're planning to do so in 2024. So the momentum is continuing. And I wanted to explain why that's happened out of, out of uh, what, what appears to be out of nowhere for a lot of people who aren't paying attention, but it did have to do with the COVID school closures. It did have to do with parents waking up, but it did have to do with the other policy proposals not actually achieving the goals of parents and school choice being the best solution. So a lot of what we talked about today, I get into a lot of details on the ground though, and a lot of examples of this hypocrisy. It's like nonstop no pulling punches on calling out hypocrites to school choice. I mean, some of them are really fun. And in Nebraska, you had one uh, organization called I Love Public Schools. It turned out that their executive director sent her own kid to private school. Well, you love public school so much for everybody else's kids, I guess, but not your own. Doesn't make any sense. I mean, there's so many just hilarious examples like that. Hypocrisy with school closures. You had Chicago Teachers Union board member vacationing in Puerto Rico, while saying it was more so too dangerous to go back to work in person. You had a Berkeley Teachers Union president uh, saying it was too dangerous to go back to work or send kids to schools in person while sending his own kid to an in-person private school. Mm-hmm. Well, if it was okay for your family and your kid, and also you had school choice by going to a private school, why was it, isn't it okay for everybody else's kids? And the hypocrisy is nonstop. So there are fun examples like that. Uh, I call out Randy Weingarten left and right, so you'll get a kick out of that one. One of the fun examples is that, you know, over a year ago now, I woke up to what I thought was, I thought it was dreaming, or maybe I thought it was a nightmare. I thought it was a headline from a Babylon Bee article, but it was none of those things. It was an actual tweet from Randy Weingarten, where she said she was in Ukraine, going to the front lines to assess the situation. What in the heck was the teachers union boss doing in Ukraine, right after the nation's report card scores came out showing decades of learning loss, um, she's already ruined our education system. Haven't the Ukrainian kids already suffered enough? What is she trying to do over mm-hmm. there? Don't replicate the policies over there if you want to if you want to improve the education system. But it's just been nonstop free advertising for school choice. They keep stepping in it over and over again, being overly political, and they've been drunk on power for so long they don't know how to handle. Uh, parents actually racking up wins on the school choice front. So you can check out a lot of these stories at, on, at, with my new book, The Parent Revolution, Rescuing Your Kids from the Radicals Ruining Our Schools, available for pre-order now. Um, I actually got a letter from Donald Trump who uh, congratulated me on the new book, which was nice of him. It's actually behind me right here. 
with the signature. And so um, has a lot of uh, great endorsements from from big names in the in the education industry. You have Vivek Ramaswamy actually recently endorsed it. Ted Cruz, senator from my home state from Texas, endorsed it. Uh, one of his lines from the endorsement was, "Ruin Randy Weingarten's day by reading this book." So if you want to go and do that, uh, have a great have a great. Uh, I'll buy two great read. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, congratulations, Corey, on all your wonderful success. Congratulations on the book. And thank you for everything you're doing for America's families. Uh, we always close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Corey, thanks so much. Well, uh, I'm sure I'll see you on the beachhead and uh, just just great. Lots of opportunities this year and I'm excited for, for those. And then hopefully maybe we'll have you back uh, after session's over and we can talk about uh, how much more winning there was. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks again.